going to 2 Samuel. If you want to start reading there and get familiar with that book, it's a little bit different than 1 Samuel, but it will be an encouragement to us, and I look forward to beginning that series in a couple of weeks. When you think of the church, what image first comes into your mind? When you think of the church, what picture do you have in your mind? It's an important question because our expectations will shape our experience. According to one pastor, there are four common distorted images of the church that people have in mind today. The first, they think of the church as a gas station. For some, the church is a place where you fill up your spiritual gas tank. When you're running low, you get a good sermon and it will keep you going for the rest of the week. Some see the church as a movie theater. Today they come to church and it's a place that offers them entertainment. You go for an hour of escape and hopefully they have comfortable seats. And you leave your problems at the door. You come out smiling and feeling better than when you went in. Third, some see the church as a drugstore. When you have this in mind, you see the church as a place where you can feel, fill the prescription that will deal with your pain. They see the church as therapeutic. And finally, some see the church as a big box retailer. This is the place that offers the best products in a clean and safe environment for you and your family. The church offers great service at low prices, all in one stop. For many people, the church is a producer of programs for you and your children to consume. Now, I'm grateful that to a large degree, these wrong pictures, these wrong expectations aren't how we view our church. Scripture has corporate metaphors that emphasize that we are necessary and vital parts of the whole body. The Bible produces or provides for us pictures that we're to have in mind. God's word calls his gathered people as a church a body, a flock, a building, and a family. And yet, we would have to recognize it's still very easy and often natural for our minds to drift into a wrong picture of what the church is to do and to be. Often when we're dissatisfied with our church, we could trace it back to a wrong view of what the church is to be. Often that's why we're very disappointed when it's not meeting our expectations. How does Paul describe the church? We're going to see in chapter 4 of Ephesians how Paul describes the church and how it's to function, how it's to work in our lives, what it does. Pastor and author John Piper has said that sanctification is a community project. What do you think of that statement? Would you agree with it? In what way is your sanctification a community, a church-wide project? Now, it doesn't really matter at all who said something like this, the question we need to ask ourselves, is that a biblical, scriptural idea? Is your sanctification 
supposed to be a community project? And if it is, how are you leaning into that? How are you practicing This morning, I want you to be convinced from this text that because we have been united to the body of Christ, because when we are saved, we are brought into Christ himself, then we must be committed to each other's growth. When we come to faith in Christ, we are made his. We are united to his people. We are given his program for our growth and our change and our health. And this means that for you individually, God intends for you to grow as you invest in the lives of your church family. That will be hard at times. It will be frustrating at times. But it's God's program for our growth. Hebrews 10.24 commands, Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. So God's word calls us to be committed to each other's growth. Let's look at our text this morning. We're going to back up and begin reading all the way in verse 1. Our text is verses 11 through 16. And we'll really, for the sermon, most part, spend our time at the end of that section. But I want to get a picture of what Paul is doing in this text. So we'll begin reading in verse 1. And this is God's word to us, his people, today. Verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And now he's going to explain what a worthy walk looks like. He says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Now, I want to bracket that for a second. I want to pause. That idea of love is going to bracket this text. We're going to see love at the end as well in verse 16. The way we can measure whether we're growing as a healthy church is how well are we loving ourselves the way that, loving each other rather, the way that Paul describes. Verse 3 now, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one, each one of us, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended Far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Now verse 11. And he, Jesus Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds or pastors and teachers. For the purpose of equipping the saints for the work of ministry or service. For building up the body of Christ. And again, we have another bracket. That building up is going to be seen here in verse 12. And it's going to be seen again in verse 16. That's part of the goal. How does the body grow? Verse 13. Here's where we're aiming at. Until we all attain. And that word attain means we will get there someday. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith. And of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of christ 
As a result, we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking or affirming or confessing the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. He is the focus. And we'll see in verse 16, he gives the growth. From whom the whole body is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's ask for his help as we consider his word together this morning. Father, we come to you expressing our dependence, our need for your spirit to open our eyes to what he has written here for our learning, our edification, for us to deepen our conviction, our hold on these truths. We want to be a church that honors you, that fits the pattern you have designed. We want to be committed to what you're committed to. So help us to see the truth and to obey it. In Jesus' name, amen. The church, this church family, is absolutely essential for your growth in maturity because Christ has sovereignly given every believer in this passage the responsibility to minister to other members of the body. The leaders of the church, we're told in verses 11 and 12, are called to equip the body for a life of mutual service. Now, the goal of this equipping is to help all believers grow up in their faith, in their understanding of the truth, to mature to greater Christ-likeness, and then to continue to build one another up in love. In verse 7, Paul begins by telling us grace was given to each one of us. We all have the ability, then he's saying, to minister to one another. We can't say, I don't have anything to offer here in this body. Paul says, absolutely, you do. This passage highlights the nature of Christ as a generous giver of spiritual gifts. And Paul's laying the foundation where he'll help us understand that because Jesus is continually giving to us, he's giving us strength and power, his grace, then we must likewise be giving ourselves to others for the mutual benefit of growth and health and stability and maturity. We're to be generous with the gifts and resources we receive from him. First, we see the gifts for building up the body. Verse 11 highlights that specifically there are gifts that he's given to the church, and those are people. They're teachers. They're instructors. The specific list is highlighting the foundational role of men who teach you God's word. In God's wise plan throughout redemptive history, he's always provided his people his word through men who communicate the truth of what he's like and what he asks of us and how we're to grow and the grace we need when we fail. In Acts 20, 32, Paul concludes his instruction to the Ephesian elders there. And he says this, Now I commend you to God and the word of his grace which is able to build you up. So while we all are investing in each other's lives, it's not just that we need to be together 
or that we're just pursuing this idea of community. And if we like each other, that's success. No, it's founded on the word, on these ordinary means that we've been talking about. I don't have wisdom in and of myself to build your life spiritually, but the word does. And that's what needs to be on every part, every member's mouth, on their lips. We're to be speaking the word to one another. The word builds and equips God's people for growth toward maturity. Hebrews tells us this. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Now, verse 12, in verse 12, Paul tells us why these men were gifted to the church. They were given in order to equip believers for the work of of ministry or service. One commentator explains, Christ has given gifted leaders to the church not merely to do the ministry themselves, but to invest their time heavily in developing and preparing fellow believers to engage in ministry to the body, to one another. The the model Paul presents is therefore one of mutual service in the community and not one of professionals serving a group of consumers. That's not what the church is to be or look like. The leaders of the church then prepare and train and equip God's people for service in the body and in the world. They do that primarily through the teaching and preaching of God's word. So the verse demonstrates it's the responsibility of gifted leaders of the church to do all that they can to facilitate the church's growth in maturity. The pastor works and the people work. A church is to be seen as every member has a ministry, a part to play. Each of us are speaking the word. Some in a more professional, out front capacity. Some in a trained capacity. Others in a normal day-to-day capacity. Paul Tripp says in Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands, he writes, for many... Church is merely an event we attend or an organization we belong to. We do not see it as a calling that shapes our entire life naturally. But scripture demonstrates we could never hire enough paid staff to meet the ministry needs of the average local church, the needs of the people, the spiritual needs of the body. Many of us would be relieved if God had placed our sanctification in the hands of trained and paid professionals. But that simply is not the biblical model. God's plan is that through the faithful ministry of every part, the whole body will grow to full maturity in Christ. So the leaders of his church have been gifted, positioned, and appointed to train and mobilize the people of God for this every person, every day ministry lifestyle. He concludes, the paradigm is simple. When God calls you to himself, he also calls you to be a servant in his hands. If you followed the Lord for a thousand years, you would still need the ministry of the body of Christ as much as you did the first day you believed. We don't outgrow God's program, God's plan for our growth. So what does this look like for you? It means that you have to work at paying attention to others in this body. We don't come to church and just sit and take in. We don't come and just go to an isolated ministry 
corner and say, well, I'm doing my duty. I'm checking my box. We're here for others, just as Christ came for us. We're to look like our head. For even the Son of Man came not to be served. The King of Kings didn't come to receive honor and homage. That's, that's not what he received when he came. He came to serve. This mindset has to become ingrained, normal, habitual in the way that we view others in the church. And John writes by this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Second, the goal in building up the body is seen in verse 13. Paul demonstrates next for us the goal of our collective growth and development. He says, until we all attain or reach to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, we have to grow in our understanding to mature manhood. Now think of this measurement, the last phrase, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We're growing up into spiritual maturity. There's still more room for growth in each of our lives. And we're told what this looks like. It includes greater unity of the faith, a greater hold on the truth. Greater unity around the truth. We have to get better at saying, no, this isn't important, this is. It includes looking more and more like our Savior until one day we see him face to face. Third, the results of the building up of the body in verses 14 and 15. The results. First, we see stability. Verse 14 highlights the result of cooperate growth is maturity and protection. Notice what he says. He uses a picture now. So that we may no longer be children. Not just innocent children. That's not the picture. But vulnerable children in need of protection. Tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Do you see? It's an understanding and holding firm to the truth that he's aiming at. That's what maturity is. That's the danger that's avoided when we know what we believe. Children are easily confused. They have a short attention span and can be led astray rather easily. What's the solution Paul's presenting? It's the body's responsibility to promote stability and maturity. Without the firmness and stability that come from growth, stimulated by the various ministries of other members of your church, believers are as vulnerable, Paul says, as a boat adrift on a stormy and tempestuous sea. They're tossed about. They're totally at the mercy of the waves and the wind, which can carry them far off course. It's describing all the philosophies and teachings that you hear all throughout your week. You see what Paul is saying here? Why it's so important that each of us embrace what it means to be a part of the church as a family, a body, a building. When we drift away from truly engaging with other believers around the word, he says we place ourselves in danger of straying or drifting. Paul is absolutely convinced through the inspiration of the spirit, you need other believers to help you hold on, to be stable and firm. This is why we have to take our membership commitments and our covenant promises seriously. Hebrews 3 
12 and 13 tells us again, it's an admonition. Take care, brothers, believers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. What's the solution? Exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Who's in danger of being deceived? By what? Certainly the philosophies of the world, wrong teaching out there, but by my own self-deceiving heart. We have the responsibility to help each other know and understand the truth. To hold on to it. We should always want to grow in our knowledge, understanding, and practice of the scripture. We should be glad to come around the word and seek to understand it better together. This is one reason why we promote and encourage you to read books that will help stretch you and deepen your faith and understanding. Grow in your study of the word. Grow in your practice of prayer. We're, to be ne- we're never to be content with our current level of understanding. I was reading a nonfiction book some time ago, and the author made the point that you are basically the same person you were when you were younger. People don't really change all that much. And yet, though he recognized that change is difficult, he said there are two things, two factors that shape your growth more than anything else. The two factors he noted were the books that you read and the people you allow to influence your life. A secular author then is unwittingly affirming this biblical truth that you will change or be shaped based on the people with whom you build relationships the most. The people you allow into your ear, into your mind, into your life. Second, we see maturity established in verse 15. Verse 14 states our need so that we may no longer be children. And verse 15 then presents the solution. We're to grow up into Christ. Again, the goal, the foundation that's being laid in the book of Ephesians is the church is built on Christ for his eternal glory and our eternal good. Maturity is a deepening relationship with him. And how does this happen? Paul says, Paul asks, It happens as we speak and model the truth before others. Who's to be speaking the truth in love in order for the body to grow up? The text says the responsibility is for us all. Don't think, well, Pastor Jim will do that, or Pastor Jonathan, or Pastor Stephen, the deacons, my Sunday school teacher. No, this is every member word ministry. You need to know the truth. You need to communicate the truth. You need to encourage one another with the truth. Look down at verse 15 again. Speaking the truth in love, we, we are to grow up in him in every way. Do you see the subject of the sentence there? We speak the truth so that we together grow up in him. How can you speak truth to others if you're not learning it yourself? If you're not digesting and practicing it for yourself? To serve others in the body according to this passage requires that we both know God's word and then are sharing it. Young people, this isn't beyond your reach. This isn't just something for the older members of the congregation to do. 
you take your, ser- your study of the word seriously. Be ready to share what you're learning. Fathers, in particular, you must model this in your home. Your family needs to see you passionate about the truth of God's word. And let that be modeled and be passed on by example, even more than by admonition. What does it mean to speak the truth in love? I've mentioned by illustration before Rosaria Butterfield, the former lesbian college professor from New England. She came to Christ while reading the Bible for a research paper to disprove the Bible. In one of her books, she had something very insightful to say about this balance of love and truth. Because of her background, her history, she's very sensitive to people who just verbally attack homosexuals without really caring about their souls. She says, yes, we absolutely need to share the truth with them, that God made us male and female. We must not compromise that. But at the same time, your relationship with others must be as strong as your words. Think of that phrase. That's really insightful, isn't it? People are not going to listen to difficult truths from you if they don't have a relationship with you. If they don't know that you care about them, that you just want to monologue at them. And that's where a lot of us make that mistake, don't we? We try to correct someone or tell them some difficult thing when we haven't really showed them that we care about them first. Who are you to be telling me that, they think? She goes on in her book to emphasize the importance of taking time to build Bridges with people, which she says cannot be rushed. She knows this by experience because we know of her testimony. She was eventually won to Christ by a pastor and his wife who loved her, had her over for meals over and over again, who showed they cared about her even as a sinner, a lesbian, something they were opposed to biblically. And because of that, she was eventually willing to listen when they discussed hard truths for her from the word of God. That couple could speak those truths into her life because they'd earned the right to speak it by the love that they'd shown to her. Their relationship was as strong as their words. Your best evangelism or discipleship of others is not going to come on Facebook arguing with people for the truth with whom you have very little chance of developing a relationship, of modeling what you really believe. It's going to be with people that you care for personally, who know that you are speaking the truth with them in love. I'm so encouraged by how this is happening and continues to develop within our own church family. Just this past week, I heard of one of the younger couples who just are starting their family, seeking out a wisdom of a couple who've raised their children to adulthood. They scheduled and planned to spend an entire Sunday afternoon together, asking and answering questions of how to raise their children for God's glory. I was thrilled to hear this. I asked their permission to share this in general terms. It's a wonderful thing that is supposed to be normal among us. Another member of a life group was facing a challenging situation at work and requested prayer. At some point later, another mature member outside of the group time gave them a call, shared with them wise counsel how they had dealt with a similar 
situation. These are current, present examples of how to do this well. Number four, the means, the tools of building up the body. In verse 16, we're told that through Christ, the whole body makes itself grow. Paul's focus in this verse is on the growth of the body as a whole, as a corporate entity. Look back again at verse 16. Notice the phrases, the whole body, fitted and held together by every individual, we could say, joint. When each, again, individual part is working properly, builds itself up. So do you see what Paul is convinced of? Every member helps build up the body as a whole. Every member is needed. Three times in this verse, Paul's emphasizing the investment of every individual believer for the sake of the whole. Each member has a vital role and place and responsibility in this growth. As seen in the phrase, when each part is working properly. One pastor highlights this point. Only when you and I reject self-centeredness, prideful independence, and a critical spirit can the beauty of the local church come into focus. That's what we started with, expectations. If you expect the church to be perfect, every program to be exactly how you think it should work, you will regularly be discontent. But if you see it as a place where you have ample opportunities to invest in another growing believer's life, there's incredible reward in that kind of investment. It says when we reject self-centeredness, centeredness then we'll see that committing to a church isn't a burden but a gift and a necessity it doesn't tie us down and give us these harsh responsibilities it instead anchors us in the storms of life the perfect illustration that paul has just used and even its faults and weaknesses become then an opportunity for us to love and serve We don't see the failings and weaknesses of those around us then as the problem, but as an opportunity. They're not obstacles. They're opportunities. The two descriptive phrases in verse 16 reveal how that happens. Every joint, every member is connected. They're touching each other. They're working together as a body does. They're held together by the other members. Every member, then, is necessary and important. Perhaps you entered this room today and you felt about your church, I'm not sure where I fit. Doesn't this text answer? It's not essentially about how you fit or you have all things in common with everybody else. Your life stage is the same. What it means is you're needed to speak the word into somebody else's life. You fit because you're needed. And you fit because you need to hear the word from other members in the body. Every member is meant to influence the life of other members who minister and serve then somebody else in the body. And when each part is doing its work, the body grows. The end result is a dynamic image of the individual members of the body receiving nourishment from Christ ultimately... And they in turn serve other parts of the body with strength and grace they have received from Christ. 
One commentator summarizes these phrases in verse 16 this way. It is clear that the union and growth of the body can only come when there is contact with other members of the body. Although the body is one, the members are distinct. However, the interaction or contact between members promotes both individual and corporate growth. Every believer is essential, is necessary to this process, not just the select few. Do you see how God's economy works in the church? The more you give into somebody else's life, the more you're built up. The exact opposite is how we tend to think as consumers. I come and I get. That's not how you grow. You grow as you give, as you give and invest, as you learn the word and then share that with others. Not only do you need the body to grow as God intends, but the body needs you. The kind of growth a church family enjoys will be in direct proportion to how invested the family members are in one another's lives. Several years ago, I was playing pickup basketball with some friends. It was about all the way back when I was in seminary, and I sprained my ankle. I, I haven't sprained my ankle very badly many times, but this time was the worst I'd ever sprained it. It, it bent, you know, really bad. I felt like the bone touched the, the floor. And I remember at the moment feeling this wave of, like, nausea. I was like, man, am I going to black out? And when I sat down and was, you know, catching my breath, I was like, well, how did that affect my, my head? Why was I about to pass out? It was all the way down there. Well, because as you know, when you, when you injure something in your body, the whole body responds to that injury. That's what was happening in that moment. The same is to be true for our church family. When one member suffers, we're to feel it. We're to weep with those who weep. Have you shed tears for a brother or sister in the body? because of the pain or hardship they're going with? Have you shared what you're going with in order to give brothers and sisters an opportunity to weep with you, to care for you, to speak God's word to you and pray with you? Often we think of service to the body as getting involved in some program or ministry where our talents can be utilized. In a church our size, you might look around and say, where do I fit? It seems like all the programs are filled. Maybe I have a talent here, but I'm not as talented as that person over there. I guess I'm not wanted or needed. This leaves many just waiting to be asked to do something. This type of thinking then thinks, well, the pastoral staff should find a way to use me. I have something to offer. While we can always use more help in our ministries and programs, this isn't the way the passage is teaching us to think, is it? If the real work of God is people work, the prayerful speaking of his word by one person to another, the jobs are never taken. If the end result is to be full maturity in Christ for every member, and your job is to help them get there, the jobs are never filled. Discipleship must continue to happen. The opportunities for Christians to minister to one another are endless. We just got to get busy. One pastor makes the application here again. While we should gather with the whole church for worship and teaching, we only enjoy deep fellowship with those we get to know personally. 
if you only attend the Sunday morning service but never spend time getting to know other believers on a deeper level, you will not enjoy the fellowship, the true spiritual community that God intends for you to have. That's why we still have services on a Sunday night. That's why we have a midweek program. Because we can't do all of the encouraging, the investing, the speaking of the word as much as we should. There's 168 hours, I think I'm correct on that, in the week. Think about all the things you give time to. You can't give four to six hours a week to investing in other members' lives. That seems out of priority, don't you think? I want us to pause and just think through the one another commands listed in the New Testament. The phrase one another, it's derived from a Greek word, which means one another, each other, mutually, reciprocally. It occurs a hundred times in the New Testament. Fifty-nine of those occurrences are specific commands. You should be doing this with one another. It teaches us how to relate to one another. These commands come from Jesus, from Peter, from John, from Paul, and James. They're found all over the New Testament. So as a church body, we're to find ways to obey these commands. That's why we're saying we meet several times a week. They form the foundation for all true Christian community. They have a direct impact on our witness to the world. Now, I don't normally do this because this will help you lose attention just to read out a list. But I think this is important to do. I'm going to minimize the list of those 59 commands and make them a little bit more manageable. But I want you to be overwhelmed, not by the specifics, but by the totality the amount. So just listen for a minute. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Build up one another. Accept or receive one another as Christ has received you. Admonish, speak truth to one another. Greet one another warmly. We don't do that with a holy kiss anymore. Care for one another. Serve one another. Bear one another's burdens. That means close your mouth and listen. Forgive one another. That means being willing to be offended. Be patient with one another because people often lead you to be impatient. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Submit to one another. It's not always going to be your way. Consider others better than yourselves. Bear with one another, because people are hard. Comfort one another, because people are hurting. Encourage one another. Exhort one another, again, speaking truth. Show hospitality. Welcome them into your home. Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Pray for one another. Confess your faults to one another. Be vulnerable with each other. And love one another. This command is repeated 16 times. Love one another as I have loved you, Jesus said. Now one of the primary ways that we encourage our church family to develop these kind of relationships to fulfill these commands is through our midweek life groups. For those who are not yet committed to a life group, could I encourage you to consider joining one? You can talk to one of the pastors or deacons for more information. There's the information carousel there at the back that has a, a card for that. 
for those that are already a part of a life group. My desire from this text is to remind you of the biblical purposes of life group, to remind you, to encourage you to be committed to what actually helps us grow. The world can gather in groups of friends that share commonalities. Only the church gathers, not because we're alike, but because we're different. And the only thing we have in common is Christ, our head. And we love to talk about him. We love to spend time around a word that reveals him. So we gather not primarily to develop stronger social relationships, but to continue to grow, to push each other, to stir one another up, to incite one another toward Christ-like maturity through the ordinary means of growth, prayer and application of God's word together. Now, certainly, Life groups, this is not the only way to obey this passage. I'm not trying to hang a guilt trip on you. You may not be able to commit to a life group at this time. That's fine. This passage, I would be wrong to tell you by application, you must be in a life group. That's not what this says. But it does say you need to be investing in the lives of other believers. How are you doing that? Perhaps you'd be interested in meeting with other members to study the Bible together. Together. Or you may want to invite another member to coffee once a month and just talk to them about what's going on in their life and then commit to pray for them. Send them a text throughout that month then, encouraging them biblically. Maybe the best place for you to start is simply to plan to be at church a little early or a little late and try taking the time to find out how you can know and pray for others in this body. Pray through our directory. Be committed to praying for others to grow up. Here's a challenging question. If everybody in our church family served others the way that you do, pursued relationships the way that you do, would our body be healthier or weaker? Are you contributing to the growth and health of this congregation according to the way that Paul's describing here? How? It doesn't have to look the same for everybody. That's okay. Some of you are at a stage of life, some of you are in college, where you have minimal time to give to that. That's fine, but you do still need to think through, how, how do I obey this? This is God's plan. How do I do this with God's people? Could it be that this morning God is calling you to a greater level of investment in the lives of other believers here in this church family? Perhaps you're not a believer and you're, you're not really connected to the body at all. Come to Christ, the head. As we conclude, I want you to hear an application, a conclusion. You need the church family in order to grow in spiritual maturity. I hope you see that clearly from the text. Not, Not from what I'm saying, from the text. What I'm explaining that Paul is saying. This church family needs you in order to grow in spiritual maturity, to reach the goal that Paul lays out before us. So in whom will you invest? God never intended you to thrive and grow and increase in your fellowship with him apart from the help and strength and support of other believers. One commentator concludes, the body of Christ is not a place to sit and soak, but to serve. It's important to help believers realize that they have all been called into full-time Christian service of others. Giftings may differ, 
Roles may vary, but being a Christian means being a servant. Do you see your role in the church in this way? We all have constraints on our time, but what is worth more eternally than investing in those with whom you've been joined together in Christ for the purpose of pursuing Christ-likeness? What's worth more? How do you view your commitment and investment to this body? Is it optional or is it essential? How can you grow, be discipled, and be discipling if you're not investing in other people, people in the church family? Paul says there's no plan B. This is the way to grow. This is the pathway for maturity in Christ. So how can you, how can we better seek to obey this passage? Let's pray. Our gracious God in heaven, we are grateful for your word. We're grateful for how it challenges us to think, to analyze, examine our lives, to evaluate where we are obeying you well, where we are serving well, where we are reflecting Christ's service to us well as we seek to serve others around us. Lord, we want to love the church, not, not because Suba Road should be the end all, the, the be all, the best church in Greer. Lord, we want to be a church that's faithful. We leave the fruitfulness to you. We want to honor what you've told us to do because you know best for us. You've designed your church to work this way for your glory first and then for our good. Help us to believe the truth that your spirit is encouraging us with, that we will be most satisfied in you when we follow your instructions when we give of ourselves as your son gave for us. Lord, help us to know how to apply this to our lives individually. This doesn't look the same for all. We don't want to be discouraged because we can't do everything that somebody else is doing. But may we honestly and sincerely evaluate how can I invest perhaps in just one other person? Give us grace and wisdom to know how to follow and obey you. For your glory, in the name of your Son we pray, amen.